Welcome back, all y'all nature lovers, to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast, sponsored by our Patreon. If you'd like to go hang out with us a little bit more and get some exclusive content, make sure to check out www.patreon.com slash the Birdie Bunch podcast. Or if that was too much, just go there through our website, www.thebirdiebunchpodcast.com. If you want to come hang out with us more often and support us in our adventure, go check it out. But without further ado, let's get into it. Howdy, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast, where we talk everything conservation, education, and fascination. My name is Matt, and I am joined by my two very good friends and co-hosts. I'm Brittany. And I'm CJ. And I'm about ready to take on the wild, wild west with all y'all today. But before we do that, CJ and Brittany, how you doing this week? I, uh, I've been good. I've been racking up life birds left and right this spring. Uh, we're only a couple, uh, you know, days slash weeks into spring here, but I've seen some really awesome stuff. Um, I've seen one bird specifically that Matt will talk, be talking about later in this episode. Mm. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've seen some other really cool things. Today alone, I saw a Ross's goose, which was very, very exciting. Was that your first Ross's goose? It was my first Ross's goose. I love Ross's goose. Someone saw a snow goose and said, but make it cute. And that's Ross's goose. Yeah, there was like debates because it was like it just appeared today. And so people were like, is this a snow goose or is it a Ross's goose? Because it was like out on the lake or out in like a, mm. uh, the lagoon at Humboldt Park. Yeah. And people were debating on what it was. So Jack and I stopped by after work. Generally size. Brittany, what about you? What, do you be, what have you been up to? So in later in the week that this episode comes out, I'm going to be headed to Florida. This is the trip that I've we were supposed to take before COVID hit. And then COVID stopped that from happening. And so we're going to Universal because I'm a big Harry Potter geek. And I am, I cannot begin to describe how excited I am to be going because it's literally two, almost three years of the making. Very excited for you. And you know what? Even if you don't go there with the intent, you will pick up some very spicy, cool birds down there. So I'm very excited. That you get to go down and be in bird Brittany, heaven. Brittany, wait, can you just stop for a second? Brittany, can you just tell us about the cool birds you're excited to see when you go down there? Just, just yeah. let us know some of the cool birds you're looking forward yeah. to seeing. Oh, that's like super easy. I'm really looking forward to seeing a phoenix. Fox in particular. I, I am very excited to um, see some other birds that that potentially fly. Maybe if they're lucky. <laughs> if they're lucky. If they're lucky. <laughs> I'm excited to see the pterodactyls in Jurassic Park. I'm trying to think uh, of other. I mean, birds. technically, I think they're they're reptiles. I'm pretty sure, but you know. I cool. mean, birds are technically dinosaurs, right? So it's wow, like, you know what? Pterodactyls were not dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, that's. Oof. Now I'm confused. I we've gone so many full circles i don't know where we're at anymore <laughs> all right back to the wild wild west <laughs> stay tuned later on you'll hear it 
I need you to know I've already put it in at least three times. <laughs> well, I was going to have that be the transition to the main episode. I've already had it put in at least three times. <laughs> oh, no, listeners, you're going to hear it all over. <laughs> um, Brittany, when you're down there, if you get the time, you should go see Florida Scrub Jay. They're, like, very endemic. They're very cool. They're very pretty. And they're very charismatic. They'll, like, land on your head and just be like, hello, it's me. Oh, yeah, yeah, that happened. Yeah, I don't know if you saw that picture on Instagram, Brittany, of Freya with the Florida Scrub Jay. It was like yep. on her head. Oh, up. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, definitely if you get the chance. But with that all out of the way, I think it might be time to take us into our very exciting installment of this week's Creature Feature. <laughs> The Wild West, a stretch of dirt in the American Southwest known for its dangerous past. Cowboys and pioneers, Pony Express mail delivery, outlaws and lawmen at an absolutely horrific time for indigenous people. The Wild West was a new frontier for many, and that meant not only dangerous encounters with each other, but also encounters with dangerous animals. This week's creature feature is one that would never lose in a gun duel. This species can draw their weapons in seven hundredths of a second, with its inflicted wound causing your bodily functions to break down over two to three days, as opposed to the instant death of a gunshot wound. Measuring in at four to six feet, this noisy native to the Wild West is a gem most feared. That's right, we're talking about the Western Diamondback Rattlesnake. Now, a big theme in Westerns is conquering that Wild West. And we are seeing that still with the conquering of the Western Diamondback Rattlesnake with Rattlesnake Roundups. Now, Rattlesnake Roundups are really a, a bad thing. I'm switching to regular CJ mode. Hello, CJ. <laughs> but Rattlesnake Roundups are uh, a, a, a bad thing because basically they what they do is they grab a bunch of rattlesnakes and they murder them. And this has led to a decrease, a major decrease in rattlesnake populations all over the West, especially with the Western Diamondback and the Eastern Diamondback. Um, so that, you know, theme of conquering the Wild West may not actually be as good as we think it is. I did my best there. It was beautiful. I loved it. It was fantastic. Did we have any comments about the Western Diamondback rattlesnake? I will say, in my limited experience with handling venomous snakes, and by limited, I mean zero. I will say I've always had like a very high respect and like really liked like snake research. And I think the Western Diamondback probably like to me just seems to me like one of the most beautiful snakes that I can think of, especially when you're talking about like North American snakes, where admittedly we don't have the highest number of venomous snakes compared to other regions. But I think in general, like just the camouflage and the whole kind of just raw power that radiates from that species in a way is just very, very, very cool. 
And I've always had a lot of regard for it because there's almost nothing else like it that I can think of. I don't want to imagine encountering one, but like I can't imagine like if I were to encounter that in the wild, it would be unlike any experience I'd ever had anywhere else. Yeah, back when I was uh, down in Texas a few weeks back, um, I went for a little birding walk while I was down there. And at one of the nature preserves that I went to, there was a big sign right at the beginning of the trails, like keep an eye out for rattlesnakes. And I'm going to be posting that sign on my Instagram this week. So make sure to keep an eye out for that. But it's just really important to talk about the way that people interact with venomous snakes because just like, you know, people conquering each other's territory and, you know, this expanse of the wild west, people are still expanding into natural areas and it really does impact species that can impact us, right? We don't want to get bit by a venomous snake, so preemptively people are going to kill it. And this species is a really key part of its ecosystem, so killing them is truly detrimental. And it's just really interesting to see uh, how we interact with such a fascinating species. Well, with that said, thank you for featuring this week's Creature Features, and let's move on to the current events. So this week's current event comes from The Guardian, and the title reads, Fears for Bees as U.S. Set to Extend Use of Toxic Pesticides that Paralyze Insects. So the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is supposed to be basically allowing the use of four of the most devastating chemicals to bees, butterflies, and other insects, and that they're allowing this continuation to happen for the next 15 years. These pesticides have already been banned by the European Union because of their decline of insects. And so the EPA was expected to confirm a proposed plan outlined last year for four different pesticides for farmland owners to be able to use for the next 15 years. And so the four pesticides have been found to cause large devastation, um, especially in bees. And so what they basically do is they, uh, these pesticides assault receptors in an insect's nerves and basically cause them to shake uncontrollably and paralyze themselves and which then ultimately leads to death. So some states like Connecticut and New Jersey have already enacted some curbs, some halts on some of the pesticides. The federal government is expected to approve them um, based off of pressure from farming groups and pesticide makers. So it isn't fully approved yet. There is a review for decisions in late 2022. So nothing has been fully approved yet, but they're expecting it to, unfortunately. So I'm going to just say, just right off the bat, I have a lot of thoughts and opinions about this for like a lot of, a lot of different reasons that I don't want to hit 
fully because that will lead to an episode within an episode. But one thing I will say is that one of the most destructive concepts just in general are these general use fertilizers, these general use pesticides, all these things that target a wide range a large slew of different conditions and they run rampant within our society because it's the easiest most economically capable thing to do but it's also the most destructive just hands down you know when we talk about general use application of pesticides what first comes to mind it's ddt i mean these are crises that continually perpetuate themselves because rather than actually preventing a problem, we only want to fix the ones we've already made. And I think that's the most devastating thing about our culture, our system, whatever you want to describe it, in, especially in the States, is when you try to react to problems rather than proactively step in and prevent them, all it does is perpetuates the problems. Because especially when you look at the way science is looked at right now, all that it takes, and this is what you see with the tobacco companies way back in, I believe, the 50s and 60s, all it takes is planting a seed of doubt because all these companies need to do is prolong consensus rather than actually prove that they're right. Because that's the way that we do things. You have to prove in that one way or another. So all they do is keep just pushing it back and they keep the use of the stuff that's destructive. It is so rampant and destructive especially when you look at the way that neonicotinoids relate to insects, right? It's targeting something in their general hardware. That's not targeted. There's, there is no way you can target that for the species that you want because evolutionarily speaking, they all descend from that common framework. That's why they're all linked together taxonomically. They all operate very similarly in that regard. And so when you're targeting that thing that brings them all together, and then you're like, wow, we really didn't expect it to kill the bees. That's really weird. It's the most infuriating thing. And uh, I'm going to go on my soapbox only because currently I don't think people understand the insect apocalypse we are currently in. And it's very hard to talk about. It's very hard to discuss because, you know, Bugs rule the world. That's all the rhetoric and all that. But we are looking at declines unparalleled by birds, unparalleled by fish. Like, this is one of the biggest decreases in biodiversity that we're seeing. And I'm even seeing that with my research I'm doing right now. And it's like we know exactly where it's coming from. And yet, it doesn't matter and it is so asinine i have a lot of ideas of things you know this is why you know frankly there's been big fights towards gmos to where you can maybe breed plants that have this same kind of relationship to where it's only the pests that actually are eating the plants and there's a lot of workarounds to this that this is just complicit behavior and is truly just mind-numbingly Oh God, I can't, I can't even like, I, I never get this way on the podcast, but it is so mind numbingly frustrating to hear that we are going back to the era essentially of DDT is what we're doing. It's, it's just, this is not good at all. 
So sorry for my little soapbox, but with that, figured it's probably going to be best. So let's move on to our next segment. So just as a friendly reminder, in case you somehow blanked out during the intro to the episode, this episode is brought to you by our Patreon. And so we're bringing back something that we were touching on a little bit a while back. But if you'd like to ask us questions of the day, you can definitely find us and find that tier on our Patreon. Remember, that's www.patreon.com slash the Birdie Bunch Podcast, or you, there is a link on our website as well. Either or works for me. But if you'd like to ask us questions of the day that we sit down, chat about, have a little fun about, definitely go sign up for that Patreon so you can be part of these episodes as well. But in the meantime, today's question of the day, a little bit fun, a little bit spicy. I just wanted to know what all my co-hosts were thinking about if they had a biopic. What song would they want playing in the background? So then the question is, in your biopic, right? CJ and Brittany, you are longstanding, famous conservationists, known most for your efforts on the Birdie Bunch podcast, spreading conservation, education, and fascination across the world. Someone says, hey, I want to make a biopic of you. What is the song that's playing as you walk in with sunglasses on for the first time in the recording studio for the Birdie Bunch podcast? That's a really funny question. I like this question a lot. I don't know. I feel kind of on the spot here. I, I guess just kind of reflecting on uh, on my recently played on Spotify. Um, I've been listening to a lot of the Encanto soundtrack. I've been listening to the Tick Tick Boom soundtrack. Um, so probably some kind of like musical song. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe like I-, I can really get down with like a 525,600 minutes. I can really get down to that. So oh. Maybe that song. That's kind of a good one. Yeah, that would be pretty good. Yeah, I think that'd be pretty good. I think it'd be a good one. Is that called? Is that one called Seasons of Love? It, I believe it is called Seasons of Love. Yeah. Did you know I've seen Rent? Did you know I've been in Rent? Did you know I pay Rent? <laughs> I also <laughs> pay Rent. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany, what would your uh, your uh, song be? Um. So I debated between a couple, and I'm going to finally settle on wannabe by spice girls oh that's iconic because a there is not one single time in my life that i don't hear that song and drop everything i'm doing to break it down two i used to work with two birds who were obsessed with that song and every single time we play it they would sit and dance to it Thirdly, Spice Girls. Enough said. Thank you. Dude, your biopic would actually be McFrickin' sick if all of a sudden you just like, like, it's like the end credits, you know? Like, yeah. you know, the end credits of Night at the Museum, we're all having the dance party and like the museum at night. It's like that, but it's just Britney with two parrots. <laughs> yeah. That's dope. I would Someone... watch that for an hour on repeat. I would. Matt, what, uh, Matt, what would your what would your song be? I was just about to say I've been pondering this a little bit, um, and I think it'd probably be "Fly by Night" uh, by Rush. I've been really listening to a lot of Rush lately. I was doing work to Spirit of the Radio today, but "Fly by Night," especially because the artwork with like the it's like a it's a snowy owl in like the dark with like just the bright yellow. I've always been like very 
very much so into that. And I work with moths and I work with birds, some of my favorites being owls. So I was like, this works. This works. Well, thanks for discussing the question of the day with me, y'all. Remember, if you want to ask us questions, patreon.com slash the Birdie Bunch podcast. But we spent enough time away. Let's head into the main topic, y'all. Picture this. A desert, void of life. So void, in fact, that the only thing with the pulse seems to be the aura emanating from the local tombstones. That is, until our hero rides in. Tall, blonde, and maybe just a, a little bit bearded. He steps off his horse, and from behind the gravestones step two men. Men he knows all too well. And as they stand and face each other, with their hands creeping slowly to their sides, inching towards their guns, they become identified. They are the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now this episode is not at all about a spaghetti western, but with that said, today is going to be just as fun as one. And so today I thought it would be a blast to have a fun little discussion about the world around us. Some of the good, some of the banded, some of, of course, the ugly. And just want to put it out there. We will have a nice little recap at the end of this episode. But for now, CJ, why don't you take us into the good? I can I can absolutely do that. So my first uh, creature animal here that is a representation of the good is my interpretation of that is basically just meaning that it is a good animal, not as like it's a, my favorite animal, even though it's one of my three favorite animals, but it's that it's good at being an animal. I genuinely believe that this animal is the best at being an animal. <laughs> Maybe aside from orcas, orcas are pretty freaking good at being animals. But this is probably the best ambush predator in the game, and it's the saltwater crocodile. Pretty much unchanged for thousands of years, coming from dinosaurs it's it's pretty much mastered its its game it's pretty much got exactly what it needs covered you know growing up to about 20 plus feet in length the longest recorded specimen is over 30 feet in length um having over almost 100 teeth like they are the example of an ambush predator existing in saltwater estuaries and freshwater they're they're scary. They're pretty scary, and that's why I love them. So, I picked a animal that I thought um, was just really good at human animal interaction and avoiding human and animal conflict. Sometimes, now this particular animal can be used as a food source. However. The African giant pouch rat is really good at working with humans at detecting landmines. So these little little critters um, are able to sniff out landmines and their bodies are too light to detonate them. 
So they work with like their human counterparts to be able to detect these landmines so that they can be disassembled and saving a bunch of stuff. They also, on top of that, they're able to also sense tuberculosis, um, which is really cool. So the they're able to sniff out, like they've been able to sniff out samples of tuberculosis. And so they're um, like in the training stages of being able to do that. But the bombs, um, they call them bomb sniffing rats. And the rats that are able to do this, they actually are called hero rats because they're able to find these and help um, locals and be able to detect these explosive TNTs. So I thought that was pretty good of them. So to round out our selection of the good, I have a bird. Um, should know, like should come as no surprise to y'all, but. I wanted to feature today something that was actually been a creature feature before, but I couldn't help but mention it. The Lammergeier. I was going to say, the Saltwater Crocodile has also been a creature feature. Well, we choose them for reasons. <laughs> so in case you didn't listen to our episode before, the Lammergeier, it's also known as the Bearded Vulture and also known as the Ossifrage in its native range, which is an old world mountainous vulture. It's also the only vulture in its genus, Gepatus, I believe that's it, species name being Gepatus barbatus, which is a really good scientific name. I got to say, scientific names that rhyme, Gepatus barbatus, always a big fan of those. But the bearded vulture also has the distinction of being the only animal worldwide that feeds almost exclusively on bone. Like their diet is 70 to 90% bone, which is just absurd to me. And it's such a highly adapted creature. And so what it does is it's really, really well adapted for flying. It's got a wingspan of 10 feet. And so it'll fly really, really high up in these mountain ranges with bones in its maw. And it will drop them from these really high feet. And then it'll break them open. It drops them on the rocks. Sometimes it has been known to drop rocks on them as well. Usually it just drops them on the rocks. But that breaks open the bone so that it can get at the marrow on the inside, which is what, you know, can't really just eat a bone. And so then it has this really characteristic spiral down too that people have noted where it, like it doesn't just descend. It like does like the really cool vulture circling kind of thing, but then lands back down at the bone. And I think the main reason that I love the Lammergeier so much is it is just I think it is the closest thing to a dragon this world will ever see. Like the traditional fire breathing kind of dragon. Like this is it. It doesn't breathe fire. Sorry, there is not an animal that does. Um, if there is, please let me know. I'm willing to take criticisms on that. I don't think there is. But it is just the coolest, the coolest thing around. And frankly, solidarity. Beard bros, loving it. So with the Lammergeier rounding out the protagonists of our little film, we now need to get into some antagonists, the bad. Uh, Brittany, do you want to bring us your first bad? So my first bad, quote, unquote, 
animal is bad only because of the way people have romanticized these animals. And they should not be. <laughs> I'm talking about a swan. <laughs> now, swans are very beautiful. They're elegant, if you will. However, they are a animals. So they're going to be defensive. They can be defensive. And with that defense comes speaking. <laughs> <laughs> and they can be very territorial, right? They they want to make sure that they're protecting their partners, they're protecting themselves, and they're protecting their young. And so totally understandable, and I totally get it. However, humans are stupid and dumb and bad. They have romanticized these birds to be the epitome of romance. And you want them at your wedding, and they're gorgeous and elegant, which some of those, they and they could all be true, but they're still territorial and they're known for like, you know, doing their bird thing. So the only reason why they're bad is because people are stupid and they, they romanticize them in a way that I don't think people realize that they're still birds, right? Like they just view them as these romantic, beautiful things and they expect them to behave in a way that is not natural. And so that is my bad animal. And it's not because it's a bad animal, it's because people are bad. Thank you. That is a, a great example of a bad animal. Um, and I'm going to give you another one, except this one is not just like, oh, quotes bad. This one is actually bad. Um, it's bad at being an animal. It's just bad at its job. And of course, uh, I'm not Australian CJ, but I have their same views. It's the koala. Koalas are the worst. I hate them. And I hate them not because they're adorable fuzzy creatures that you just want to give a hug because that's the only reason to like them. But I hate them because they are just disease-ridden marsupials who are disgusting and just bad at existing. For example, they have evolved to only eat eucalyptus. They, they can't digest eucalyptus. It's like one of the few plants they can't eat. Eucalyptus is straight up poisonous. The only way that they can digest eucalyptus is if they have a special bacteria in their gut that doesn't occur naturally. And where do they get that from if it doesn't occur naturally? Great question. They get it as a joey when they eat their mother's poop. It's called pap. And it uh, contains all the bacteria that the joey needs to survive when it only eats like seven of 400 species of eucalyptus. Because, by the way, they're that picky. They're annoying. They're stupid. In captivity, koalas don't know what a leaf is if you take it off the branch. So you have to give koalas the whole branch or else they'll starve to death. I mentioned disease-ridden, and I did in fact mean it. Like 90% of koalas have chlamydia. And it's because they eat each other's poop. Uh, that's how they, they pass it to each other. And no one really knows how they got chlamydia, but they have it. And this isn't even like CJ looking up facts. This is just CJ being upset about koalas and ranting to you. Um, and I don't think I can do it anymore. So, Matt, what's yours? So, I'm not going to lie. Mine is in the same vein of yours. I think this animal sucks. I. 
hate that it is such a massive priority flagship for conservation and conservation organizations because frankly i'm starting to be of the belief that i think even without humans i think this species would just go extinct anyways um and i'm gonna get a lot of flack for this i'm welcoming it if you would like to reach out to me and scream terrible things at me you can find me at instagram at the britney underscore bunch that is the b-r-i-t-t-a-n-y underscore bunches and brichter that's b-u-n-c-h um you can find me there if you want to scream lewd insults at me so go right ahead tell me how much you hate me for hating giant pandas so in the same vein of the koala the only thing that the panda brings to the table is they're adorable there is no questioning that those things are cute as a button they are big and poofy and they got the weird little markings where it's like just like you look like you're watching a black and white cartoon and then you're like oh this thing's real like and it's just like they're adorable and then the buck stops there okay this is a species that for the longest time had been highly highly critically endangered and some of you may ask why right well deforestation is a big part of it and deforestation affects species all over the world totally understand that one thing I will say, though, is that the loss of habitat that they experienced shouldn't only be attributed to the fact that they lost, like, the one type of bamboo that they will eat. Because pandas are so specialized, kind of just like koalas in the way that they'll only eat eucalyptus, right? Pandas are so specialized to eat bamboo that they literally developed, like, pseudo-thumbs to where they could eat it, which is cool in its own right. But then they're also super picky and they don't like i don't think sometimes people fathom how much pandas have to eat those things are huge and bamboo as an energy output is like near nothing bamboo does not have a lot of energy it's mostly shoots it's mostly woody debris and so they're eating just wood but they're also super picky about the wood they eat and so they have to eat tons and tons and tons of like this really hard to find bamboo and they're like it's like giving someone like a whole entire like a buffet but they'll only eat the cashews and someone takes the cashews and they're like i'm hungry and you're like go eat something and they're like i want the cashews and you're like but there's no cashews right now and they're like i'm hungry and you just get into this cyclical thing where you're like i don't know how to help you it is not my fault you only eat cashews but, and the real kicker is that pandas, panda reproductive success is appalling. And that's the only way to really describe it. Because not only are they siphoning numbers because habitat loss, and, and then that, all of that, again, is completely fair and valid. Not necessarily their fault that deforestation happens. I understand it happens, right? But in order to survive as a population you need to reproduce and pandas already only reproduce like i'm pretty sure their gestation period is like a year and a half or something like that like they're not having babies often it's a long time and they do not get pregnant often either it is very hard for pandas to get pregnant it's noted in a lot of zoos that they struggle getting pandas and panda babies and 
Not only that, but keeping the panda babies to survive. Because for as large as the panda is, right, usually when we think of animal babies, there's usually to scale, right? Like a baby rhino comes out, it's like a fully formed rhino, you know, it's small, it's smaller than mom, like it's a rhino, a giraffe comes out, and it's walking around in like an hour, and like, even though it's a small giraffe, it's still a giraffe. A panda comes out the size of like a jelly bean, which makes sense for a marsupial when you're hanging in a pouch. But pandas ain't got pouches. Pandas are just laying there the way any mammal would. And so a lot of times, adult pandas will accidentally roll over, crush, and suffocate their little baby jelly beans. And then all that two-year, three-year process is for naught. They had one baby, and what did they do? They freaking killed it. And so this is why I have a lot of disdain for pandas. I think they're cute. I think the buck stops there. Like I said, I think they're bad. And I get so upset when I see them in general. And so that is my bad animal. Also, I wanted to come back to Brittany's really quick because people don't realize that swans are just pretty geese. And they still act like geese. And you're completely right about that. And I'm so glad you brought it up. Because those things can hit like a baseball bat. They're brutal. I appreciate the validation. It's like okay, on my soapbox every single time I see a swan, and it just feels good that I'm not alone. Oh, the swans literally are just, like I said, they're just pretty geese. They behave the same. Yeah. They're still like bad. So we covered our protagonist, right? In our little Western. We've covered our antagonist. I just wanted to come back because in the good and the bad and the ugly, there was also someone who just like <laughs> they weren't good and they weren't bad, but they 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 weren't they they weren't good. And that's the main of they they weren't good, but they also weren't bad. They were ugly. And so kind of wanted to see what y'all were thinking as far as ugly goes. So CJ, do you wanna round out our last category? I can most certainly do that, Matt Valiga. I can most certainly do that. Um, so my nomination for ugly is, and this is the colloquial and a common name for this species, is the Titicaca scrotum frog. That is the name of this species. <laughs> it is the I... Lake Titicaca scrotum frog. <laughs> I almost picked it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not here to explain any of those things to you. What I am here to do is explain why it's an ugly animal. Now, keep in mind, this species is critically endangered, you know, because of trafficking and invasive species and habitat loss. But that has nothing to do with its appearance. It is disgusting. <laughs> Let me just describe this species for you. So you can picture a frog. Everyone can picture a frog. This frog is gray instead of green. As opposed to like sitting on like its hind legs like some frogs do. It's like limbs are just splayed out. And its skin is the most wrinkly skin you've ever seen. To the point where its head is basically tucked into its body because of how wrinkly its skin is protruding into its neck. 
And you may be asking CJ, why do they call it the Titicaca scrotum frog? Um, and I'm not going to explain that to you, nature lover. But 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 she ugly. I'll say that. Now I wish I can uh, get you to um, explain that to me, CJ. But since you won't, we can move on to the next ugly uh, animal, and that we will go down to the C four. Um, and we're going to talk about the blobfish. Now, the blobfish uh, was made pretty popular in social medias uh, be, by becoming a meme because it literally looks like a booger with a nose. However, the blobfish only looks like, it, it kind of looks like this jelly, mucusy, moist blob. <laughs> <laughs> with a nose and some eyes. Um, however, it is a fish that's just found pretty far down in the sea. And they don't actually look like that all of the time. They kind of just look like a normal fish. Um, but they don't have a swim bladder. And so they kind of just like, I say this with all puns intended, they kind of just blob around. They, they don't do anything really too strenuous. Um, and the reason why they don't have a swim bladder is so that um, the pressure from how far below in the water they are, it won't affect them. And it keeps them with like, it keeps their buoyancy as well. But they kind of just look like a normal, like little fish. They almost kind of look like a, a gooier version of a... Um, like a puffer fish almost um and like just the way that they're shaped but they're just like these great little fish but when they come up when people bring them up from the ground from that sea from that sea level they basically kind of explode and turn into that jelly like substance and it is kind of gross and kind of ugly and it's kind of sad because they're not that ugly to, to be in with. Wow. So that was um, a little bit of a heart wrencher too. You know, you know, we're talking about the blobfish and how at its moments of death, we are memeing it for how ugly it is, which is a little, you know, it's a little poignant and it hurts. It hits right there. Um, I will say both of y'all so far have chosen very ugly animals. I will just be, wholly candid about that i would like to submit to the table another ugly animal that isn't on everyone's usual ugly list but i was gonna say matt this is as someone who just saw this species it's not that ugly yeah you know so as cj is alluding to my species that i've chosen is the white-winged crossbill which cj just saw and if you'd like to hear the story of that definitely go find our patreon so you can get that content. I love that even after we had a whole bit that I know I need to cut out. If somebody subscribes, you're like, yes, I'm still going to plug it to make sure people subscribe. Well, yeah, well, of course. <laughs> but the white wing crossbill, it's, um, first of all, one of my dream birds to see. So I'm not, not going to say that I dislike this animal either. I actually love this animal. And it is a species of finch. Um, it's a dimorphic species of finch, too. So the males and females look different. But basically, the males are this little, like, rosy kind of 
red-ish, but it's like got more like pinkish in it. It's not like a bright crimson red. You know, it's like it's like nice. It's like a little like a like a scarlet pinky hue with black wings and then white bars on the wings. And then the females have this really beautiful, like oldish brownish like it's not like you know bright gold or anything but it's like a very subtle caramely gold um color to replace that reddish hue both of them having the the white wings and you may be asking you're like matt like that sounds beautiful man like what you talking about bro and to that i would say you're right and then you look at this bird's face right you get this nice flash of red you're like oh my god what bird is this and then you look at it and you're like, oh my God, I need to take it to a rehab center because this thing's face is 50 shades of, oh God, what happened? They called cross bills for a reason. Their bills, the top and the bottom mandible literally cross so that the points go down from the top and up from the bottom to where it makes like a little like, it looks like someone who just has not trimmed their nails in very, very long. It just looks like, a deformation like there are birds that you can find that occasionally will have deformed bills that's a thing that happens but with crossbills that's on purpose um it's really jarring looking and it's really blatant especially like with pictures at certain angles you can't really tell but then you see it in the wild and it's like their beak crisscrosses each other and it's like oh my god what happens and this is all functional right because the reason that they have that is because they eat from inside pine cones. And so what they'll do is just pretty much colloquially speaking or across the animal kingdom, bite force is usually stronger down than up. It is easier to close than to open. That's a pretty collective thing across Animalia. And so in order to pry those pine cones open that are so, you know, the seeds that they're trying to get is at the inside, rather than inserting their beak and opening, what they do is they insert that beak, that little cross, and then they'll close down on their mouths, and that force of the crossing then closing down, which really opens up the seeds because the, the points on their bills get further apart, is actually what pries those pine cones open. And so then they can get at the seeds on the inside. Now, it's really useful. It's a very, very sick adaptation, I might add. But with that said, it's really bizarre and like jarring and like you know those are some terms that we could use for ugly and so that rounds out today's ugly category and so you've heard our submissions for the protagonist of our story you've heard our submissions for the antagonist of our story and most importantly you've heard our submissions for the ones who don't really have a place either way they're just kind of bizarre and our story, our wild, wild western story, unlike the good, the bad, and the ugly, the movie, is completely subjective. And that's kind of the point of this whole episode. We talked about good animals. We talked about bad animals. And we talked about, most importantly and most amusingly, I would say, ugly animals. But all of that and something that we've always talked about is completely subjective across anyone who listens, right? I hate pandas. I do. I'll fully admit that. But there is nothing wrong with absolutely loving pandas. They get people through the day sometimes. And the whole point is that there is such a vast diversity of 
animals and ecological niches and morphotypes, um, which is just the way an animal looks, all across the kingdom of Animalia. And there's something for everybody. The world, every single person has an animal that they can latch onto if they want. If you love crossbills, if you think they're the most beautiful thing in the world, that is absolutely for you. If you're so enthralled by blobfish that you get a sticker and put it on your laptop, that is for you. Our story is not a country western with heroes and villains and guys who just kind of tag along and make things difficult. Every single animal in nature is a hero. And they all would be a hero in their own featured spaghetti westerns. And so whenever you look at an animal, don't just kind of label it, you know. We label snakes and bats and spiders and rats and all that. We even featured a rat today in the good. We feature them all, but all of them have such an important role to play in the vast diversity that is the world. And without any and all of these heroes, everything would fall flat without them. So if you enjoyed hanging out with us today and you want to learn a little bit more about who we are as people, you should probably go check out our social media pages. CJ and Brittany, where can people find y'all on the social meds? You can find me at Matt Valga. <laughs> Just kidding. You can find me at the Brittany underscore bunch, T-H-E-B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y underscore B-U-N-C-H. Wow, things are changing around here, aren't they? Don't get used to it. <laughs> You can also find me on the gram at cj.greco, that's cj.greco, and I've probably already posted about the Ross's Goose that I saw. I went and took some pictures after work today, like I mentioned, and I'm probably going to post that uh, that rattlesnake sign that I saw in Texas, so keep an eye out for that. And then y'all can find me at Matt Valiga, M-A-T-T-V is in Victor, A-L-I-G-A. I like to kind of try and highlight some of the work that I'm doing when I get the chance, so... Um, that'll be the main thing, just because I don't go anywhere. If I ever go on vacation, you will absolutely see it. But until then, work, nothing but work. And I will say, all of us collectively work very hard to keep our social media presence up at the Birdie Bunch podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Now, we've been a little bit quiet lately because of um, certain things happening in the world that we didn't want to overtake. But when we come back and start releasing content again, you can be assured that you'll find only the best, funnest, most engaging content that you have ever seen. So definitely go check us out there at the Birdie Bunch Podcast. If you're thirsting to learn a little bit more about us, our podcast, anything like that, you can also check out our website, www.thebirdiebunchpodcast.com. There's links, there's blog posts that tell all the links that we use for research for our episodes individually if you want to go check stuff out. There's information on who we are as people as well as there's links to our merch store and, as we've been talking about, our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash thebirdiebunchpodcast. And thank you to Gabe Anderley for being one of our Patreon subscribers. If you would like to join Gabe, like I said, 
go to patreon.com slash the birdie bunch podcast so if you'd like to help support us in any way shape or form absolutely those two things uh you can go to there's a support page on our website and you can go check that out if you can't financially support us i totally understand that do not worry at all because there's a lot of other ways to support us as well for starters you can leave a five-star review we want to hear any feedback whatsoever and if we get a five-star review we will read it out on the podcast that doesn't mean you have to leave five-star reviews in fact if you really hated this let us know because we just want to make a better podcast every single time we put one out. Another way you can help this podcast without spending a dime is just by sharing it with a friend, right? You got a friend who just saw white wing crossbills and you're like, oh my God, they just talked about the white wing crossbill. I should send this to my buddy. That's how it starts, right? We can't do what we do without y'all and without your community. We appreciate all of your presence in our social media driven lives and that this podcast exists because of you and the easiest way to help it continue and persist and allow us the platform to share all these cool beautiful things with y'all is just by sharing with a friend so those are a couple ways that you can help us out and we really appreciate all you do all the time for us now um cj and Brittany, is there anything i'm leaving out before we head out that's all I got, man. I think you killed it. Yeah, I'd say that wraps up our story as well for y'all. With that said, we'll catch you next time. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. We would like to thank Sarah Dunlap for designing our logos and Connor Whitman for being our music producer. The mission of the Birdie Bunch podcast is to inspire an inclusive community for conservation by using education to promote fascination. When I roll into the wild, wild west, when I stroll into the wild, wild west, when I bounce into the wild, wild west, Cisco.